There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am Jahan Jones. Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Taryn Finley. And it's your boy, Shaquille Rombley. Black History Month is coming to an end, and sadly, COVID deaths are not. After a year of the coronavirus, the U.S. has hit half a million in lives lost, where Black people, of course, are disproportionately affected by the pandemic, including inaccessibility to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys think we go from here? Got me thinking about Alicia Keys' song, Where Do We Go From Here? I mean, that's a loaded question because, like, think about, like, who has power in this country and who doesn't, right? White like, people. Of, course, people. What, of course, what we need are, you know, is uh, adequate vaccine effort. We need all of these things. And as we wrap up uh, Black History Month, that's quite frankly been very tiring mm-hmm. um, and challenging for a lot of us. I think that, you know... One thing that we've been talking about and, you know, amongst ourselves and in our friend groups is what, you know, black futures look like. Mm -hmm. What what does it look like, you know, for us? Of course, we don't just celebrate ourselves during Black History Month, but we also celebrate, honor and revere who we are and what liberation looks like for us year Mm -hmm. round. Um, So that number is just astounding. And I think about, you know, what liberation looks like to me is honestly health mm. for for all black people mm-hmm. and i think this pandemic has just been it's really shined a light on the um not only the disproportionate number of people affected by this pandemic but also just like who is getting taken care of first who are the people that you know they're marketing and making available these vaccines for right right and you kind of, you mentioned it earlier but we're we're leaving Black History Month, technically, but the fact that some of the issues plaguing Black people persist beyond Black History Month is a reminder for us to, you know, stretch out, squat for a little bit, take up our time to celebrate the whole year and use the whole year to kind of advance those causes that we think are important to Black folks. You know, I don't feel confined at all by February when it comes to addressing these issues. And I think maybe it's as a result of last year where we had Black History Month, but then we also had what felt like that singular month of June where people were very compassionate about black people and black causes. Ever since then, I've just felt defiant toward anybody who wanted to kind of condense all of our issues, all of our stories to one month. I really feel like we should be entitled to, like I said, stretch out our legs a little bit. Yeah. And um, as Taryn talks about health, I'm currently reading this book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. And it's basically giving life to everything that Taryn has said. Black women are slightly least likely than white women to get breast cancer, but black women are more likely to die from it. Black women right now, in terms of health, mental health, fare the worst. Um, when it comes to having certain diseases, black men, the prognosis are always the worst. This is statistical data. The prognosis are always worse. If they have diseases that can be cured, 
Black people are more likely to die from these diseases because when they get medicine, when they have the access to medicine. And this is historical. This is historical. And this comes from people not valuing us as human beings. So, of course, not giving a fuck about our health or our mental well-being. I think about Henrietta Lacks and I think about, um, you know, the Tuskegee experiments. And I, I, I think about how Black people have long, you know, been against our own will, the foundation for a lot of advances. Hell, even the vaccine, they used Henrietta Lacks's cells for research to get to the vaccine. And the fact that these things feel like actual health, something that, you know, we unequivocally should have a right to, you know, fuck this capitalistic model that our healthcare system runs off of now. The fact that we fare so worse off when it comes to our actual health, Mm -hmm. it's just really, it, 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 it makes me, it makes me fucking sick to be honest. Um, and as we talk about liberation, um, you know, of course we have to mention incarceration. It's so many black men and women and children in jail and being policed and like Mm -hmm. I, I don't know who said this but someone said when you think about slavery in its modern form which is incarceration there are more black people enslaved today than back in the day when slavery was prominent and uh you know in the 1800s yeah. if you're looking at those numbers more black people are incarcerated than the amount of slaves they had back then which i just think is bizarre yeah. and insane I don't know if y'all read the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, but I think it does a really good job of of outlining a lot of that, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, just this week we saw Bobby Schmurda, you know, released from jail. But I think about all the folks who like didn't meet, make it to see a release day. Mm-hmm. Um, like Khalif Browder's story just haunts me often. Yes, like yes. way too often. Mm-hmm. Sandra Bland as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just countless people black people who've had time literal time stolen from them because of a lopsided justice system Mm -hmm. right right i want to go back to that point you were making earlier taryn about like black futures and we obviously mentioned we need health equity to be a part of that black future you're talking about equity in the justice system but what other fields do y'all are y'all most excited about you know exploring as we talk about the black future i keep thinking about technology Mm -hmm. as one of them why tech because, I mean, over the past decade, we saw the explosion of technological opportunities and creative opportunities through, you know, our phones, for example. I think about, you know, the rise of 3G technology and just to put people on at home, you know, 3G, that that's what allowed for, you know, a lot of smartphones and the development of smartphone apps. And then you see the, you know, the explosion of Instagram and Twitter. And we think about all the businesses that have kind of been that have burgeoned from these kinds of apps. And then you see, you know, with the advancement of 4G, you see really fast internet speeds. You see, you know, high definition video on YouTube and Twitter and like really quickly uploaded video on these platforms. And that, of course, made so many professional opportunities available for Black folks. And now with this rise, uh, and this is the nerd in me speaking, but you know, the, <laughs> rise of, the rise of 5G, that's just going to make so many more um technological opportunities for black people. And I think those technological opportunities are the basis for creative opportunities. And then, you know, entrepreneurial opportunities as well. I'm really excited to see what kind of 
business people arise in this new crop of creators that's going to come along with this new crop of technology. So this is a really interesting topic to me because, um, you know, tech is still very new. Like it's mm-hmm. still, it, it, you know, even though it's it's been around and, you know, in, in various fashions since we've been alive, you know, the way that it's advanced is still in its infancy, but like going so fast. Quickly. I don't know. Yeah, right, I don't know right. if y'all heard of um, a book. It's called Algorithms of Oppression by uh, Sophia Noble. And, she, you know, she does this wonderful job of breaking down how the these tools built by mainly white men mm-hmm. have really skewed a lot of the algorithms that, you know, we use to search. Like, little black girls, uh, you know, for a while couldn't look up literally the term black girl without some porn or some or some bullshit popping up like you know so it and and the fact of the matter is that the tech industry has done such a terrible job at making sure that it's not only like diverse and uh um and inclusive but also like you know that is designing a product that, you know, reflects that as well. Like the products that we use reflect the ideas and beliefs of white men. That's scary as shit. Mm -hmm. That is scary as shit. Especially when you think of like these new tools in AI and how they're going to be used and how. exactly Yeah. 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 And in a lot of like, we are left out of that conversation completely. And because of that, like, I fear that, these tools will be weaponized against us. And we often can't force our way in because we don't have access to, right? We are often not given the same access to create things, whether that's music, whether that's technology. And a beautiful future for me looks like us being able to create because to think that Aretha Franklin was able to get access just because she had to be that good, right? She had to be that great. Ella Fitzgerald, they had to be that great just to get access into spaces to perform, right? So the future for me looks like Black people just having the talent that they have and still having access, still being able to show up and show off their lights and show off their talents and not being blocked from different entities, you know? That's mm, what, like, I like, that. I like to think that a lot of times with musicianship, right, we don't have the same room to be experimental in our music. I would never forget Erica Badu once said she hates being called the queen of soul, because if she wanted to do other things, people are like, no, you can't do that. You're the queen of soul, right? But if Britney Spears want to jump on a hip hop record, she can, you know, Christina, Miley Cyrus, right? They, They often have the room to explore. And we are, black people are the past, the present, and the future. We're the past because we've invented almost everything. We're the present because we are here now. And we're the future because we continue to shape. I got a question for y'all. I got a question for y'all um, because, you know, I, I consider myself a creative. I, I I don't know if y'all do, but, you know, there is some creativity in our field mm-hmm. um, a lot, honestly. Um, do you feel boxed in ever as a black creative and how so? Yeah, I think that for me, my identities are very important because yeah. they are the reason why I create, but I am also beyond my identities. Right. So sometimes it sucks to be the black queer person or the person who has to speak on the behalf of all black queer people because queerness and queer culture is so vast and black culture is, oh, my God, vast, you know. So that is Mm. actually painful because there's other conversations I would love to engage in and love to have. But sometimes I don't have the access to because what I'm boxed into. 
I hear you. I, I don't feel boxed in as a black creator at all because I feel, you know, really entitled to make the kinds of things I want, whether it's music or art or, you know, written work. But I do feel boxed in at times as a black, quote, journalist. You know, I feel like there's a certain kind of work we're expected to produce. You know, people oftentimes expect that they're going to get five graphs of text from us. And so I think like trying to blossom outside of that very rigid idea of what it means to tell a story and then like adventuring into audio and video is something that more journalists need to kind of engage with, you know, and those are things that I'm able to kind of flex as a black creator that sometimes in my professional world, I'm not able to flex in the same way. So I don't feel boxed in, in my general, general creation, but sometimes as we're trying to find ways to make that fit into our jobs, it's not always a perfect, you know, fit. And so I think as black creators, we got to find as many opportunities to do that as possible. Yeah. My job is to, you know, cover black culture. Um, and in doing that, I've found that sometimes the audiences that consume my work, um, especially if I'm like deviating away from, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about social justice. I talk a lot about, you know, politics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but I cover, I, I cover a bevy of things because mm -hmm. black culture is a bevy of things. And there will be, there will be people who like, if I cover, you know, something about a reality TV show or, you know, something that is in, in my opinion, you know, just as important to talk about when it comes to like black culture today, there, there will be people who look at me sideways. Like, like, girl, why are you talking about real housewives? Like it is other shit going on, but they hate no, they hate no. <laughs> First off, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Exactly. Right. <laughs> we right. we can Come do that. Now. We can do Come that. I ain't, I ain't always got to seat myself in, in these ex uh, extra serious um, topics. But one thing that I would love to see more of in a Black future is joy. Um, just like however that joy exists within you as an individual, like like lean into that shit and, and use that to expand you because, you know, like you said, Jahan, like, I don't, I don't necessarily like feel limited as like a black creator, or a black person, but I do think existing and like living, um, not, not only as a professional, but as, you know, any of these labels that you could think of, especially as a black woman can, can often, you know, have limitations on it. And I think that if we lean into joy, that a lot of times releases those limitations. Mm, that's a bar right there. <laughs> that's a bar right there. Yeah. I, and I love what Terrence said, because like my moments of joy often stem from being around black people, having these conversations, feeling mm -hmm. safe among black people. And, safe. Yeah. I yeah. love that word. That is safe. such an important word. Safe, right? And the most important moments for me are often moments with one another because we often feel so safe around each other, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that being a Black queer man, there are populations of people who are Black who often do not feel safe. So what I'm hoping is in the future that we all we are all able to unite and come together and make each other feel safe consistently because at the end of the day, we're all each other have.
We have to take a real quick break, but when we return, we talk allyship and why inclusion matters, and black trans women seeking more space in the movement. And that's that. Stay with us, y'all. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Black History Month is a celebration of all Black life, including our Black, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, gender non-conforming, non-binary, etc. people who are fighting discrimination and injustice to build a brighter, more inclusive, and healthier future for us all. And so the epidemic of violence against transgender and gender non-conforming people, especially Black trans women, is not one we should exclude or overlook. And so today I got a chance to talk with Asani Armand, trans activist and founder of For the Girls, whose mission to party with the purpose also calls for inclusion and racial justice. Take a listen to our conversation. I wanted to start this conversation off today because this is not something that we commonly do on this show, but I'm going to state my preferred gender pronouns because it's so important for us to get into a culture of doing it consistently and minds are he, him, they, them, theirs. Asani, if you feel comfortable sharing yours, please do so. Yeah, absolutely. I use all pronouns. I'm good with he, him, she, her, they, them. Exactly, exactly. And I wanted to talk a little bit about preferred gender pronouns because it's something that for so many people is such a new thing, but such a necessary thing. So what is the importance of asking people their preferred gender pronouns to you? Sure. Thank you for asking that. I think that like for me, when you're thinking about pronouns, right, a lot of times when people are talking about that, what we're really talking about is the assumptions that we make about people, right? We, a lot of times, assume who people are and what we think they are based on what they look like. And the truth of the matter is, those are not always synonymous. They can be, but they're not always synonymous, right? And very often, they are not. And so it's just much better for everyone involved if, you know, we just always kind of start kind of conversations like these with the, you know, I'm this, if the person is comfortable, right? Just so that we are not making assumptions about who people are, and what they identify as. Exactly. And the point of it is to basically make sure that everyone feels safe and make sure that people's identities are respected. The reason why we're having this conversation is because, of course, it's Black History Month and we are celebrating Black women, all Black women. And a lot of times, Black trans women are left out of the narrative. So when we say Black Lives Matter, it's important for me to emphasize that Black queer lives matter and Black trans lives matter. What do you want Black Lives Matter supporters to know about the trans and the queer struggle, not only during Black History Month, but holistically? And why is it important for us to make sure that we continue to emphasize our trans and queer brothers and sisters in the movement when we talk about Black Lives Mattering? Um, I want to preface what I'm about to say as not being, I'm not talking about Black on Black crime, because that Mm -hmm. does not exist, right? So let's be clear, that does not exist. 
I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is an intracommunal conversation amongst Black people, both cis and trans. Um, it is important that when we are talking about BLM and Black Lives Matter, when we're talking about Black people being killed in the middle of the street, Black people being harmed at protests, police officers coming into Black women's homes and shooting them and killing them, right? That stuff is super important to talk about. We need to always be having these conversations. We need to always be talking about the need for or the non-need for police officers and why police officers do a lot of really bad and harmful things to Black people, right? And the history of policing in this country, I think it's important that we always are talking about that. And simultaneously, we need to also be talking about the ways that Black cis people use the state and use the state's logics in order to inflict the same harms or similar harms on Black trans people. And that is not the same as saying Black-on-Black crime, because that mm-hmm. is a myth. But mm-hmm. it is not a myth that the majority of Black trans people that are murdered across the spectrum, right? So Black trans women, Black trans femme-identified people, as well as Black trans men and Black trans masculine-identified people, across the board, the vast majority of them are harmed by Black cis people. That is just true. Mm-hmm. And so that is a conversation that we need to have, right? And I think that we cannot have a very honest conversation about Black Lives Mattering if we cannot talk about the ways that Black cis people harm Black trans people. We cannot do that. And also, we have to be honest about the fact that when we are talking about Black Lives Mattering because the police are killing us, we need to talk about how they are killing Black trans people, too. Black trans people are being killed by police officers, too. That Mm -hmm. is also what's happening, right? And they're not being put in the conversation at all. When Black trans people are being killed and then somebody does decide to write about it in the news and then this Black trans person is being dead named or they're being misgendered the entire time. That is also a part of that mistreatment that Black trans people have to experience. And that needs to be a part of the conversation too, if we're talking about BLM. Because if Black lives are supposed to matter, then that means all Black lives, including Black trans people and Black queer people at large. And I really did not want to bring this part of it up, but I think that like, oftentimes people who are support BLM don't want to admit that a huge, huge portion of the people on the front lines of BLM are Black queer people and trans people. And the reason I didn't want to bring it up is because really no one should have to do some type of labor in order to be seen as worthy of living, right? We should be worthy of living just because we are human. And so I did not want to bring that up, but I think it is quite hypocritical when people often bring up, you know, Black trans lives needing to matter in order for that phrase to be truthful. They say we're trying to move away from the the point at hand, right? Or we're trying to distract from the point at hand. And I think that it's just weird because Black queer people are always fighting for everybody. Exactly. And when I think about that, I think about a large part of violence against trans people is erasing them, right? Or not acknowledging them. And every single year on record is the deadliest year for trans people, right? But we don't even know how deadly it is because of the fact that a lot of times when you see a trans body in a morgue, they're misgendered or they're not even identified the way that they want to be identified. So this is just how deep the violence often runs. Exactly. And bringing that up is not distracting from the larger point at hand that Black lives matter, right? Black trans people need to be seen as both Black and trans because that's what we are. That's exactly what we are. And like Black cis people's lives are never going to be at peace. They're never going to have the peace that they want until they really actually reckon with the ways that they navigate transphobia and trans harm. They're never going to be able to get the lives that they actually want. They're never going to get the, the structural rights that they want until they are able to reckon with that because in order to reckon with that means to not only reckon with how you navigate the world harming people, but also looking at how all these structures that exist around us harm people sometimes more than they harm you and why we don't need those systems, right? 
something that I love and admire about you is you're really good at making sure that you cultivate spaces to make sure you keep members of the community safe. And you've done that by creating this party called For the Girls. I've been to the party. It's a lit party. You sort your hair out, you know? It's just a good time. But I find this so intriguing because historically, parties have consistently been safe spaces for members of the Black queer community. So why was it important for you to create a party or a movement for Black queer people where the resources are oriented towards Black transgender individuals? Sure. Um, I think it was important for many reasons. I think, like, the very big reason was that, like, oftentimes, especially back in the day, people kind of referred to, like, Black queer spaces as, like, a church, right? Like, the same way that people go there for a safe haven, that's where you're supposed to be protected, that's where you're supposed to be able to, like, go be around people who care about you, care for you, they want to make sure that you're well taken care of. Black queer people didn't really always have those spaces. They couldn't really find that in the church unless they were closeted. They couldn't really find that with family because most times people's families are very, you know, queer phobic, homophobic, transphobic, whatever. And so a lot of times people had to find that in party spaces and clubs and bars and stuff like that. And so for me, when I was thinking about how I was going to build a space that was going to be able to help black trans people, to me, it was kind of a no-brainer. People like to drink and people like to have parties and people like to have fun. And so why not combine all those things and instead of taking the money for myself, why not use that money to help people who need it more than me, right? But I think that as I kind of progressed, just living in New York and also building this party, I realized that a lot of the spaces that that started out for Black people then became very quickly for everybody else but Black people. (laughs) Um, And so it was important that like, I didn't compromise the two. Like I knew that it was going to blow up. I knew that it was going to be this big thing because those spaces that were once for Black people were so quickly becoming for everybody else. But it was important. So it was important that I did that, but also made sure that I was not going to compromise what that space was originally for because it becomes so easy, right? If you really get into it only for the money, then like, yeah, of course you're going to let it become a space for everybody else because you really just want the money. But if it's about making sure that people have a safe space, then you have to stick to that. And that's what was important for me. Tell us a little bit about your fundraising and how you go about fundraising for the Black transgender community and the Black queer community in general. Yeah, absolutely. So FTG, it was a party that was started back in July of 2019. Uh, The first one was done on the 4th of July um, of 2019. And we basically just use the friend's roof um, at their apartment and ask for donations at the door to help pay for two Black trans people's rent that month. Um, And while I was doing the party, another person came up to me at it and said, hey, you should try to do this every month. She said some real stuff when she said, like, we always know someone who is in need. Like, we always know someone who's dealing with some type of housing instability or needs help with some type of affirmative surgery and stuff like that. And so that's why I decided to keep trying to do the party because the black trans community that I'm a part of and that, you know, I see around me always are kind of dealing with housing instability because it's like this very interconnected thing. I guess really kind of the rest is history. We did parties almost every month up until February, 2020, which is when like, you know, stuff with the pandemic kind of started to kick off. And so 
we had already kind of started doing the stuff online. And then when the pandemic hit, we transitioned to fully being online. And so we've been online ever since. And we really just put out fundraising ask and tell people, you know, we have this many people that we're trying to help and we have this much money that we need to get to people. And, you know, we get the money to them as best as we can. In addition to doing RAND, as you mentioned, you help people get access to gender-affirming surgery. Talk to me about that. Why was that pivotal for you also? If anyone knows anything about affirmative surgeries, these things can cost upwards $100,000. It depends on the state you're trying to do it in. It depends on the city. It depends on if you have insurance or not. It depends on if you're trying to stay in America or if you're trying to go abroad. And then you have to factor in the fact that you can't just get an affirmative surgery and then go to work the next day. You have to be out of work for a month, two months, three months. So you have to factor in being able to pay for your rent. You have to factor in transportation if you're flying somewhere. You have to factor in all these different things. And so for me, it was like a no brainer. If we were going to try to do this and we were going to get to the point where we really could help a lot of people and a lot of money was going to be able to come in, then we needed to be able to help with that stuff too. Because I think that that is as important as housing rights, right? I think being able to really self-actualize and to be able to create and construct yourself as you fully see yourself is just as important as having somewhere to live. And I think that a lot of times people don't really understand affirmative surgeries and the need for them. And I think that is because we live in a world where we think every surgery that we get to our bodies is considered a cosmetic surgery. It's something that is considered, oh, you just want to do it because you want to look good. When really affirmative surgeries are beyond that. It's not just about that. It's about feeling good. It's about having your mental health be aligned with your spiritual health, with your physical health and all these things. And it's so it's not just a cosmetic procedure. It is a bodily right. And so it was just important that we poured resources into the community in that way, as well as housing. And you're humble, but I'm going to say this. You have raised over $1 million. <laughs> and you've done it really quickly. You've done it really, really quickly. The future looks bright. It's blinding my eyes. So my last and final question is, what does the future look like for you? What the future does like for us is really trying to make sure that we help as many people as we can. Like, I think that that's always going to be the forefront of FTG for me is that making sure that we can get as many people's rent paid as we can who need it and as many people's affirmative surgeries that we can who need it. Um, it's that's really what it means for me. And I'm like, I'm always like people don't really know this, but like I'm always behind the scenes crowdfunding. I'm always behind the scenes writing grant applications to big organizations that have the million dollars and billion dollar budgets. Like I'm always trying to get money out of those people to go alongside what we're doing publicly. Because for me, it's not really about being known for doing this. It really is just about trying to get the word out there as much as we can, both in front of the public and behind the scenes so that like as much money can come into this organization as it can, so it can go out as much as possible. That's really the big thing for me is just making sure that we can help as many people. And that's all I really want for FTG. I really want us to get to the point in society as a whole that like FTG doesn't have to exist anymore. And until then, um, we want to help as many people as we as we need to. And this is all coming from the heart. Asani, you are one of the many people who make me so proud to be both Black and queer. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You can make me cry. But tell the folks where they can find you and for the girls at. Period. So y'all can follow us on F-O-R-T-H-E-G-W-O-R-L-S. Again, that's F-O-R-T-H-E-G-W-O-R-L-S. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's the number four. T-H-E-G-W-O-R-L-S. You can follow us there. 
And that's it. That's it, y'all. And that's that. <laughs> this was great. <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you for everything. I really do appreciate y'all having me. I'm so appreciative. And that's that for this week. Thanks again to our guest, head doll and trans activist, Asani Armand, for coming on the show, a place where all Black lives matter. Our show is produced and edited by Izzy. I came in like a lamb, but I intend to leave it like a lion, Bess, Nick Offenberg, mm. and Sarah Patterson. Go ahead, Sade. Mm. I'm Jahan Jones. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Jahan. I'm Taryn Finley. You can find me at underscore Taryn It Up. And I'm Shaquille Rombley. You can find me at Rombley everywhere. We'll be back next week. Until then, you know what to do. Keep it juicy. Juicy fruit. Taryn! Let me be honest with y'all. It's been a week, okay? And I'm protecting my mental health this week and fighting for my liberation by not singing. Y'all got it. All right. Do 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 do. Thank you. <laughs>